1605 College Street, Burlington, Vermont, July 16th through the 19th. For more information, visit wakeuptodyingproject.org. It does come in, in waves. You know, there are times when you're just sobbing. Um, you know, I'd get down on the floor with my puppy and just sob. But then, you know, <laughs> then you're not. Then you get up and you, you know, hopefully eat something. <laughs> Come explore what death, dying, and life mean to you. For more information about the exhibit and workshops, visit wakeuptodyingproject.org. It's time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show. Thank you, Jim Connie. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. A uh, little less humid, a little less warm than yesterday. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Maybe a relief for some. Maybe uh, pining for yesterday for some of you. Coming up on the program this morning, we'll have uh, another one of our lively discussions, which we hope you participate in. Let me give you the phone numbers here right off the bat. You can join us on the program this morning at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. Before we get down to our discussion here, let me take a moment of your time remind you about one of our fabulous sponsors here on the program. If you're looking for a nice evening out in the Champlain Islands, head up and see our friends Susan and Mike Tramby at Shore Acres Inn and Restaurant, and it is right on the shores of Lake Champlain. You uh, cannot miss uh, the beautiful views there. You'll see all the way down to Campbell's Hump, up to Jay Peak, and be staring right at Mount Mansfield. Well, that is if you're not staring right down at your plate with a fabulous dinner cooked up by Chef Dan Rainville. Maybe you start up with a couple of his crab cakes and then uh, move into a nice steak or fish special. And then make sure you leave a little bit of room for dessert. They make great desserts there, too. And uh, keep in mind, 23 rooms right there on the facility. And you could uh, be staying in one of those after you enjoy your fabulous meal. If you have a couple of days you can take off this summer, scoot on up to the Champlain Islands. A lot of people do from uh, all across the world. So we encourage you to do so by uh, giving them a call at 372 8722, that's 372-8722, Shore Acres Inn and Restaurant, a beautiful North Hero, Vermont. It is just a short drive, but another world away. Last week on the program, we uh, were joined by Nina Thompson talking about this program that's coming up this weekend in Burlington, the Wake Up to Dying Project. This is really an effort to sort of demystify this whole idea of death. I mean, come on, let's be realistic. It is going to be something we all have to deal with here. And perhaps maybe if uh, you uh, listen to our guests and go to, to go to the event, maybe you'll put a little bit more focus on each and every day and realize each and every day is a gift and that uh, we need to extract as much as we can from each and every one. We're going to uh, continue that discussion this morning and welcome here to the program. Uh, Carrie Noonan is an RN who works at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And uh, Pat Fontaine is an author and a teacher, both uh, joining us here in our studios, both involved really with two totally different lectures here, but I'm sure we're going to be able to find some common themes throughout. Um, Pat, let's start with you this morning. How are you today? Absolutely excellent, Mark. So what's your interest in this whole project here? Uh, I think the world of Nina. I met Nina several years ago when she was just beginning to put the project together, and it just blew my socks off. 
uh, I hadn't heard anyone really talk so clearly and uh, creatively about how to come to terms as a community with this notion of we're all going to die and we don't know how to talk about it. And so she has put together this remarkable project that takes the best of StoryCorps, which people, your listeners might be familiar with on National Public Radio. Uh, she's collected a vast number of stories of all aspects of dying and living well and put them together in a beautifully crafted listening tent. Uh, the tent itself is just a, a really pleasant, delightful place to go sit in. People, you can do things with your hands while you're listening. This is a traveling project that's coming to Burlington this very week. And next to it, uh, you can listen to stories for up to 45 minutes. Next to it um, is a resource tent, which has everything you would ever want to know about death and dying. Everything from the Hemlock Society to how to find a good funeral home. And then there are people like me stationed throughout the day to both listen to stories, guide people around. Uh, there's a facilitated community discussion every day from 12.30 to 1.30 throughout the course of the project. Um, so when I found out about that this was Nina's plan to do these um, beautiful traveling events, I just signed on and whatever I can do. What's been your experience when you went through the exhibit? Uh, it was in Montpelier last year, and I uh, both went through the exhibit and helped. And I'm just telling you, I was uh, laughing and crying about every half hour. One of the most moving things, uh, in addition to listening to the stories, is uh, she sets up a giant chalkboard outside that has as the header, before I die, I want to. Right. With all these little blanks to fill in. Mm -hmm. And watching this scene at that chalkboard is just stunning. People come there on walkers. Clumps of kids who are just roaming around, you know, teenagers with nothing to do come and kind of dare each other. And after a while, they all quiet down and they're really thinking about stuff. You know, people with kids in strollers. It's just a stunning thing to watch and witness. And uh, and then the stories themselves. So as a greeter, I stood outside the tent. And when people left, I just was simply instructed to say, what do you think? And the stories that I heard, I heard people tell me things that they had never told anyone. That had gotten stirred for them by listening to these beautiful stories. Wow. Wow. Give me an example of one. Uh, I had a, a young man, uh, I would say maybe a 30-something guy came out. He um, was holding the hand of maybe a two- or three-year-old who had sat quietly with him to listen to all the stories. He came out. His face was streaming with tears. You know, he's one of these quiet criers. And I said, my line, what do you think? And he turned to me and he said, I've never been able to forgive myself for not being able to keep my mother out of pain when she died. And now I can. Because I knew that that's... I did the best that I could. Wow. And so I pull my water clean <laughs> out. That, so that's the kind of thing that happens. People get permission to think um, in a way about stuff they may not have been able to approach. And it gives us all the beginning of language to be able to talk with each other about this thing that nobody wants to deal with. Mm -hmm. But we all have to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not getting out of this alive. Mm-hmm. Are you a quiet crier or an open sobber? Depends. Okay. <laughs> Carrie, let me uh, have you scoot in here. Um, so how, why, why and how did you get involved in this? I met Nina um, through Hospice Palliative Care Council of Vermont um, through Ginny Fry um, last year. And it really had my heart written all over it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I had volunteered at the Montpelier exhibit last year 
in the tent, the resource tent, um, kind of giving people information about advanced directives and getting your business in order so that you can get down to the business of living, right. which is really um, what this is all about. Um, again, none of us are getting out of this alive and, uh, you know, being able to put it into perspective, getting the checklist off so that you can clarify with yourself what is it that I want to do with my life and how do I want to live. Um, I think that's really the heart of, of this project and getting us all to think about our mortality and how we can better, better be here with our time. Well, it was interesting to hear you say that you want to get the paperwork done so that you can get uh, prepared to, to keep living. I was almost expecting you to say so you could prepare to die. <laughs> um, That's a great point. I do feel like, you know, this whole thing is about living. I, I have a, a long history with hospice and palliative care, and through um, my 20-some-odd years in that field, that's kind of what I've taken out of it is that this really is about living until the moment that we do die. Um, these, you know, directives, paperwork, that, you know, doing wills, that simply ensures that we can do this the way that we want to. Um, because let's face it, none of us know today could be our last day. Mm -hmm. uh, if we don't have a voice, what would we have wanted and um, I think that there are some great people in this state working on making advanced directives simpler to uh, complete, even focusing towards a younger population. This isn't about a terminal illness necessarily. Um, I think we all should address our directives at an early age even. So there's talk about simplifying it and you know streamlining it for somebody in their 20s right um who who's, would i appoint not, as my yeah he's not thinking about that kind of stuff for sure right right not quite so heavy so to speak mm -hmm. so then you've got that plan in place mm -hmm. and you don't have to think about it anymore really just live your life go check off the bucket list mm -hmm. why'd you get involved with hospice care I have asked myself that question a million times. I really, it's who I am. I went to nursing school. I started working as an aide when I was in my late teens um, outside of Washington, D.C. and started working for an agency um, down there and then moved up here. And it's just always been part of who I am. I have no other way to explain that. I think most of us who are in this field probably don't have the words to explain that. We just know that that's part of who we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you certainly, if you started doing this in your late teens, you knew what, you knew what you wanted to do. Yes, absolutely. Was there anything going on in your life, in your family? No, nothing that you can tie this to. I have been fortunate enough to not lose... I, you know, I have one relative that I've lost um so no yeah. just wow what was your experience going through the exhibit last year i think i i share some common themes the laughing and crying out loud almost at the same time um the chalkboard was 
incredibly moving. Um, I shared those same sentiments that to watch random people of all lifestyles, children, you know, older people, um, healthy people, people who were visibly sick, walking through and um, curious. There, w- there was a bit of um, tentativeness at the opening of it. People would slow down and you know, curiosity, and then they would come in, and their eyes would get big. Um, I had a lot of questions, more than I thought, mm-hmm. on um, resources and advanced directives. Um, really, you did? I did. Okay. I really, I really was impressed by the amount of people that came through the tent. Um, this being, you know, a new project, a new exhibit. Um, the story tent was absolutely moving. It really was. They, they did a, a wonderful job creating a very quiet, sacred space. The the atmosphere in there, the lighting in there. The she used um, beautiful fabric flags almost to create. Um, separations between people so that there was an element of privacy for Mm. those who wanted, you know, who were crying. Um, Just a very moving project. I I would venture to say that everybody who walked out of the exhibit um, walked out a bit changed and a bit more introspective on their life and what they wanted out of it. Hmm. We're talking with uh, Carrie Noonan and Pat Fontaine. We're talking about a a, a, um an event that's been uh, ongoing and will be happening this weekend in Burlington, the Wake Up to Dying Project. So, Pat, how do you, how do you how do you do this in a way that celebrates life as opposed to having this be sort of a downer? I mean, I imagine we've in the last fifteen minutes probably lost a few people. So, how how, how do you how do you have this discussion be framed in a way that it's a celebration and not not you know not a downer? Well, I really love what you had to say, Carrie, about. Um it's about living well. And, you know, there's a lot of anxiety unknown uh, attached to this topic of death, the topic, and even the word mortality, I can, you know, I can feel a little... Well, your whole body just flinched yeah, as you said it. a little clenching, little shoulders roll in. And um, it's kind of a, it's, it's something we, through these, uh, through these aspects of being able to tell our story and share stories and listen to other people's stories, we kind of unlearn that kind of knee-jerk reaction. And death becomes something in this culture, not something we can stave off or by some miracle or hard prayer or good medicine make not happen, but we can engage. You know, if there's anything I've learned in all my years of teaching and my own smorgasbord of cancer and dealing with illness is that um, the things we try to avoid are the things that have the most resistance and tension around them. And when we can engage with that, whatever it is that we think is so difficult, and find a way to just simply accept it just for what it is, then the doors open a little wider and we can begin to engage with it, have a conversation. You know, it's kind of like someone you're trying to avoid your whole life that you think is just this (coughs) person that bugs you and or you've had a difficult interaction, and the tension around the avoidance is often stronger than the actual person or the, or the issue. And, you know, as we've often felt, when we begin to see that person as a human being, uh, 
like us, something shifts. And that's the same way with death. You know, we can, all of us, if we were asked to draw death at any given moment, we'd draw the Grim Reaper, right? Right. Well, if we take the hood back and we put this, the scythe down and uh, <laughs> maybe loosen the cloak a little bit, then yeah. you see that, you know, death's just a dude. <laughs> a dude on the bus, okay. right? And, uh, and it's somebody, if we can um, have a conversation with our fears about it, it then becomes just another aspect of living and living well when we're able, as you were saying, to even in your 20s. You know, I'm so impressed. You know, Nina talks about working with families. She's also a chaplain and she'll go in and she often finds that the people that she's worked with begin to then talk about this with their kids. So children then are coming up with, well, it's not that big a deal, right? I mean, it is a big, it's the ultimate big deal, but it doesn't have to be avoided. What do you want to do before you die, right? So that then becomes an interesting um, something to explore rather than be scared of. You know, we, we just make it accessible. Mm-hmm. Death is a dude on the bus. I love that. Yeah. Well, just like us, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that, that TV show. There's a, um, uh, the, the Jones show. There was a, uh, it was God was on the bus. You never know where, where, where he might show up, so you better be nice to everybody, I think was the message of that. <laughs> so how has, how is having cancer, how has really almost having to stare death in the face, how did you learn to accept mortality? Or did oh. you? Oh, right. This is the Mark Johnson show. Um, I forgot for a moment. Uh, well, first of all, my, I was just scared off my ass. You know, I was given a diagnosis that wasn't great. And I was said, you know, you're primed to put your affairs in order. I mean, where did that expression come from? Put mm -hmm. your affairs in order. Mm-hmm. So what are my affairs and what the heck is order? And so I gathered a, a bunch of people around me because um, I had I actually helped a dear friend go through his dying process. And it was unbelievably inspiring and, and pretty life-changing. And so I thought, well, that circle of folks really helped us all come to terms with it, including him. He was sitting right in the circle and saying, you know, there were certain of us as friends, a certain people in my uh, world who I realized could help me handle the paperwork, the financial stuff, the social stuff, the food. And all of a sudden, it then became this like reason to get together. And they turned into these, these little mini parties. And then, and that made things a little bit easier. Then I started reading some stuff. There's some beautiful things out there about engaging um, mortality and coming to terms with dying. And it was a relief, actually, to begin to think and plan about it. What I found was the most challenging was that there wasn't language out there for people to talk to me about it. And so often people were either uber cheerful, like, mm -hmm. you got to, you know, you got to just stay strong and we're going to beat this thing. And I didn't think I was going to beat this thing. And I hate that military language. You and I have talked about this before. Yeah. We're going to. You're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna kill the cancer. Well, you know, I had to figure out a different way to be about uh, with that, and so um, I just started looking for ways to help people have conversations with me about how it was going to go down, and ran across some stuff uh, that was just incredibly helpful about, um, you know, people would often say would often freak out if when I told them that I I might be dying because it was stressful for them. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah. Like I, this article uh, that I'm referring to is uh, there was a great article in the Los Angeles Times uh, op-ed a while back um, called "How Not to Say the Wrong Thing," mm-hmm. and they have this beautiful little map called "Comfort in, Dump Out." So the person who's dealing, right, who's dying or sick or doesn't know what the heck their diagnosis is, we only offer them comfort. And as a friend, I deal with my own crap in my own way. I get the support I need so that I'm not dumping my anxiety and stress and fear of my own mortality into them. Right, right. Like, how dare you be sick and dying? I don't want to lose you yet. I had, you know, people say that to me. or I can't look at you. I can't be your friend anymore because I'm too scared of losing you. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I found that people were avoiding, right? Because they were so scared that they'd say the wrong thing or... Well, you're staring at your own mortality. I mean, that's, right. a, you know, it's reminding you too much of that. Let me have you put these uh, headphones on here, and there's another set. Could you hand me that set right there? That'd be great. Thanks, Pat. All right, uh, we'll give those to Carrie. Uh, let's, uh, we're going to take a phone call here. Let's go to Mill- uh, uh, Milliston. Let's go to Milliston and talk to Watt. Uh, how about we talk to Matt and Williston? Good morning, Matt. How's it going? It's going good. I just wanted to share an experience or a couple experiences and some observations. I lost my dad a year ago in February. He was eight. And then my mother-in-law was 92. She passed this last February. And it was interesting. I mean, it used to be that people would die in their homes. And I think it was more part of our life and our culture. And then when we started moving people into hospitals and into care facilities, it's easier for people to lose touch and have that connection. And I really noticed this with my mother-in-law. She had her you know, her kids, her grandkids, and her great-grandkids that were allowed to be part of that process. And it took, you know, once she decided that she didn't want any more treatment, that she was just, she was ready. And to watch how peaceful that was and then, you know, see people be able to connect and share that together, multi-generational like it used to be. I don't know, for me, it just, it helped me with my own dad's passing that way. And I think, you know, that's part of why maybe it is harder for us in our in our society now because um, we lose that connection when people aren't in the home and it isn't, you know, it isn't as natural as it used to be. And I'll, I'll, I'll hang up and well, listen. Yeah, that's a lot of loss you had there. Thank, thank you for your call. Yeah. I don't know if you, Carrie, when are you coming on that? I, you know, I have to tell you, I saw shortly after a friend of ours passed away up in Williston at the Respite House, that frontline special that I'm sure you've seen on end-of-life care. Oh, my God, it was just awful. You know, people being hooked to these machines, the bright lights, the beeping, compared to, you know, what happens in hospice was just breathtaking. Absolutely agreed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um Part of what I do for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Vermont is uh, we help people to choose that place and really advocate where they want to live the rest of their life. Um, We are starting to see more of a shift in people taking control and saying, I don't want to go back to the hospital. Um, We want to go back home. Vermont Respite House is a wonderful, incredible place um, they do a, an amazing job with Vermonters from all over the state. Yeah. Um, and currently, I think they're working on increasing their bed capability. They're going to increase yeah. the the facility. Um, 
So I think a, a lot of it is empowering people, um, starting the conversation at an early time. Um, it's not an easy conversation to start, but whether it's general aging and just a debilitating um, health decline or whether you've been given a terminal diagnosis, thinking about what you want and what you don't want really can help you off in the distance, you know, where, where you spend your final days. Um, when you say what you want and what you don't want, what do you, what do you mean? I think that could mean, that means the full spectrum, really. What options for care, uh, what treatments that you're willing to go through, um, your support network, how many people you want involved. Do you want a home health agency to come to you? You know, do you want to be at home? Many people do, mm -hmm. and it's very possible to, to remain at home. Um, Mm -hmm. What's been your experience working with people in hospice in terms of what I was talking with Pat about, you know, of looking at mortality right here up close and, and then accepting it? Do most people, do you find, what's the, what's the method of acceptance and does it happen or do people just not accept it? Overwhelmingly, I have found uh, a, a big level of acceptance. It's very individual. It's very personal. Um, I think that there's many factors that feed into that spirituality, um, support systems, you know, a religious base for some people, um, all of those strengths that kind of dictate how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the, the most difficult uh, dying process that, that I've been through were with people who really did not take the opportunity to think about what it was that they wanted. Um, a lot of, I've always kind of thought, as, thought of hospice as a, a big present and, and tying, helping somebody to tie the bow and make it complete. Um, their life, of course, being that present. So not thinking about the future and that I believe comes from fear mm -hmm. um, denial those can contribute to a, a not so good experience mm -hmm. um, but I think in my work with people there there really is you know when when hospice becomes involved and palliative care as well uh, supporting the family supporting the patient addressing the symptoms of discomfort and kind of helping to put things into perspective, that all brings a level of acceptance for our mortality. There's that word again. But it, it really puts it into perspective and allows people to say what they want to say to the people that they want to say it to, do those things that they've wanted to do, and, and then say, okay, I, this is okay. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, be back and continue our discussion in just a moment. We've been talking with Carrie Noonan and also Pat Fontaine. You're welcome to join us at 244-1777 is our local number. Toll-free 877-291-8255. A reminder, too, uh, coming up this afternoon, President Obama, there's going to be a news conference from the East Room. Uh, he'll be taking questions about the Iranian nuclear deal. 
and we'll be providing live coverage of that. That'll be coming up at 1 o'clock this afternoon right here on WDEV AM and FM. We'll take a short break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Special announcement. Wendell's Furniture is Vermont's largest furniture store, so we're having Vermont's largest furniture sale. It's a $4 million inventory reduction event. We recently underwent major renovations and acquired a surplus of unsold top quality inventory. We must make room immediately. $4 million worth of brand name home furnishings and handmade oriental rugs have been drastically discounted for immediate sales store wide. Everything must go. Up to 60% off top quality home furnishings. Up to 70% off handmade oriental rugs. Now is the time to buy. Living rooms, bedrooms, dining rooms, dinettes, sectionals, recliners, TV stands, mattresses, rugs, accessories, and more are all reduced for quick sale. Nothing held back. It's a complete wall-to-wall sell-off. Hi, folks. It's Wendell. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to own the furniture you've always wanted during our massive inventory reduction event going on now at Wendell's Furniture in Colchester and at the Vermont Bed Store, 4050 Willison Road, South Burlington. Get details at wendellsfurniture.com. Savings happen every day at Kinney Drugs. And to help you save even more, check out our Price Buster Specials. Super low prices on hundreds of items throughout the store. Like Nutella Spread, two for $6. Centrum Ultra 100 Count, $9.99. And Finesse Hair Care Products, only $1.99. Just look for the Price Buster signs at any Kenny location. Or check out our weekly ads to see even more. Super low prices, super big savings. That makes all the difference. Only at Kenny Drugs. The thrills, the action of great stock car racing has never been better than this year at Barry's Thunder Road. The excitement of wheel-to-wheel, side-by-side, inches apart, paint-swapping action on the asphalt high banks is second to none. This Thursday night, no exception. Three exciting racing divisions hitting skill and cunning in events with no speed limit, charging for a lap of honor in the checkered flag. This Thursday night's Fairpoint Communication 50-lap main event will be highlighted by Governor's Cup winner Barry's Nick Sweet, battling current Thunder Road Point leader New Hampshire's Derek O'Donnell, and a great field of American-Canadian tour stars. Admission $12 for adults, kids 6 to 12 $3, and family 2 adults, 2 kids for $25. Parking is free. Thursday night is fun night as Speed Bump the Moose bumbles through Fairpoint night at the nation's site of excitement, Thunder Road. Post time 6.30 on Quarry Hill and Barry. Looking for a new car or SUV? Then come into Cody Chevrolet Cadillac during Chevy's bonus tag sales event. Now through July 31st, get up to 3000 total cash allowance on select new 2015 Chevy Cruze, Impala, Malibu, Equinox, or Traverse. Find your Chevy bonus tag, find your deal. And with the best selection of new Chevrolets in central Vermont, you're sure to find the right Chevy for you at Cody Chevrolet Cadillac. So hurry in today and get more than you expect for less than you imagined. Another reason Cody is why? Chevy's the buy. Chevrolet. Find new roads. RB Technologies on Route 14 in East Montpelier has been creating and supporting thoughtfully designed, custom-crafted computer networks and communication systems for their business clients since 1997. Here's team member Chad Avery. I believe RB Technology wants to provide transparent IT business solutions to clients who want a peace of mind about their IT infrastructure. Creating respectful business partnerships is our goal. We are a growing Central Vermont business with a dedicated staff to provide IT solutions that work. We are professionals and will always treat you with respect. With our new remote management and monitoring system, we can provide remote support and IT solutions efficiently. I evaluate success through good relationships, teamwork, and finding the balance in every step. We're all in business together. The team at RB Technologies knows it's all about building lasting relationships. Call 223 444 
or online at rbtechvt.com. When you think of business technology and communications, think of RB Technologies. Matt, continue our discussion. We've been, we've been talking about death, and, uh, or living, actually, you know, before you die. Uh, and uh, we've been chatting this morning with uh, Carrie Noonan. Carrie works at Blue Cross Blue Shield. She's a uh, case manager and works has been doing extensive work in the hospice program. Uh, also, we've been uh, chatting with Pat Fontaine, who is uh, an author and is also an educator. They're both going to be involved coming up this weekend in the Wake Up to Dying project. Maybe we should find out exactly what they're doing. Um, so, Carrie, you're you're involved in one that's sort of dealing with that dealing with that business that you got to take care of before you um so that you can go on and continue living continue living that's right i will be there on sunday afternoon um there's a workshop death and documents the business of dying and that's from 1 30 to 3 in the pickering room at fletcher free library um which is on college street um there will be three of us there. There's uh, Cindy Brzezzi from Vermont Ethics will be there. And I believe there is also an attorney from Burlington yeah. who will be there as well. And our goal is to start the conversation about what one might want to start thinking about as far as documents, um, planning, um, wills, those types of things. Um, and then I will also be at an end-of-life Q&A workshop after that from 3 to 5 at the same location, um, which is more one-on-one, -on -one, just questions and answers about services that are available, community, uh, documents, those types of things. Mm -hmm. So give me some advice here on, so how are you supposed to start the conversation, before dinner or after dinner? <laughs> I think getting comfortable with it is step one. Um, I think that we don't want to talk about it because, as we said before, you know, the word mortality, um, dying, all of those things make us uncomfortable as human beings. So for me, just bringing it up works. I, I you know, becoming comfortable with it and. The pot roast is great. Let's talk about my will. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it really is, you know, again, uh, bringing it back to how do you want to live your life? If this were to happen tomorrow, you know, who's, who is making those decisions for you? Mm -hmm. um, and it can be as simple as that. Uh, completing advanced directives does not have to involve lots and lots and lots of specifications. You can appoint an agent... And that's really the most important thing, appointing a voice to make or to, to let know, to let people know what your decisions are. Do I want to be intubated? Do I want CPR? Do I want two beatings if I can't make those decisions? Um, advanced directives are also becoming more of a checkbox kind okay. of format. and. Yep. You can specify what songs you would like at a memorial service or if you even want one at all. I've seen some pretty, what I think are great, funny things, you know, just celebrating um, a no person's bon life. <laughs> 
I haven't seen Bon Jovi yet, but mm -hmm. um, I definitely want to go to that celebration of life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pat, let me ask you: when you, you know, when you were sort of facing staring this down, did you? How did you pick somebody to be kind of your representative? How did you do that? I had a lottery. Okay. No, not really. <laughs> and your friend with the short end, short end, was the one that got picked. Um. I had a thoughtful conversation with some close friends, and I actually chose a combination because I was starting to get it that it wasn't it shouldn't just rest on one person's shoulders. So what I decided to do is have my closest family members, but they're paired with friends because they don't live here every day. Right. They don't they don't know where I store my whatever my safe deposit box key or what. And I have all that stuff written down now, and I, a lot of people have copies. But I realized I wanted everybody to have a buddy. Mm-hmm. So that they could go through it together, whether it was the person making medical decisions or the person trying to hoe through, you know, my possessions or um, which I'm trying to whittle down or uh, it was the person trying to figure out the financial stuff. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to be able to have support to do that. That's a really good idea to not put it on one person. I mean, that's it's hard. It's hard stuff. I mean, making decisions for other people. Eesh. Well, so people can collaborate and say, you know, well, you know, right before she went you know quiet she yeah. said blah 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 make sure to do x and somebody might have missed that yeah yeah so yeah i seldom am ever quiet so mm. um so, so carrie what do people say in hospice what are some of the things that people say you know they wish they'd done mm. spent more time at the office right right exactly yeah. yes um gotten that overtime in no i think most of it is, I wish I would have reached out to so-and-so. I wish I would have reconnected with so-and-so. Um, I have seen people linger and get that phone call from their son across the country um, or wait for a grandchild who is overseas serving um, to get home and give them a hug. Tell them I love you, even if it's on the phone. Those are deep connections that we have um, with our, our families, with our friend, with our community. Again, that that support. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people certainly have bucket lists, and um, I, I've seen people accomplish some of those trips later in their life. Um, part of the benefit of hospice is the coordination that goes along with that. You can connect somebody with a hospice, even in a different country, mm -hmm. so that they have that support should they need it. If they wanted to take that last trip to Paris or even a trip to Kentucky to see a family member, right? Um, that, that supportive care is there. Mm-hmm. Can you explain, too, to people, we were talking about this before, you know, I was under the misconception for many, many years that the word hospice meant that really that last stage of what really hospice is, places like the Wilson Respite House. But it's a lot, it starts a lot sooner than that. At Absolutely. what point does it start? A diagnosis with a prognosis of six months or less is what the official Medicare guideline dictates. Um, that is not to say that if somebody outlives that, if, you know, if seven months comes in and they're still doing well, um, as long as there's a decline being documented and the disease process is taking its course, they would just be recertified into hospice. 
the benefit of having an early hospice admission is that all of the services that are available can really um, integrate into their life. There's nursing, there's um, aid service for personal care, there's social workers, chaplains, volunteers, music therapy. It's a beautiful, comprehensive service that really you need some time for. Mm -hmm. um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people end up being referred to hospice in a later stage where there, there is only a, a week or a few days left. Right. Um, and certainly those services are just as intense, you know, at that point. But um, the full spectrum of what hospice is about is best utilized when there's an early referral. Let me take a moment of your time to remind you about our friends at Jet Service Envelope, an outstanding local printer. If you need to get projects done, anything from a book to a, a nice trifle brochure or anything else somewhere in between that, anything that involves ink and paper, they can make it happen for you. And one of the beautiful things about 2015, you can just send those items over electronically and they magically assemble them and make uh, you look great. You could either try those projects in-house they're going to be a lot more expensive. You get involved with equipment that costs as much as a you know a nice used car, all sorts of toner. You know we all know what can happen with toner, and then service contracts. I know you all like to see the repair people come in, but I mean seriously, leave it to the folks at Jet Service Envelope at two two nine nine three three five and on the web at jetservice-envelope.com. So Pat, what's the conference you're involved in? Um, I discussion you're going to be leading? I'm actually going to be doing a workshop, a uh, facilitating workshop called Living Well, Dying Well. Um, it's actually going to be uh, composed of community members and end-of-life care professionals to talk about what they've learned. Uh, there's also going to be an opportunity for participants to consider what living well and dying well means to them. So folks, we're really encouraging all the professionals to talk from a first-person experience. How has their relationship to living well and dying well affected the work that they do? Because mm. that's really what seems to um, to get through to folks or, or make those connections is when someone can make a personal connection of somebody's story will touch some, some, some place and someone. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that'll be from 5.30 to 7 on Thursday evening at the College Street Congregational Church, 265 College Street. And one of the people I know on that panel, um, Sharon Keegan, who runs the Williston Respite House facility, is just a really remarkable person. Who, who else is on that? Uh, Diana Barnard, uh, who is in palliative care at the University of Vermont Medical Center. Kristen Barnum, who is an RN uh, is the division director for Biata Hospice, Sharon, of course, and Pamela McPherson, who's a hospice volunteer with the VNA of Chittenden and Grand Isle counties. Talk more about this piece that you were mentioning. You mentioned earlier about what to say to people and what not to say to people. Somebody who has a, a diagnosis of a serious illness, in all likelihood terminal. So what do you say? What do you don't say? Um, so... One of the things that we often find ourselves doing uh, when someone tells us of something difficult, whether, you know, I'm, I'm going to die in six weeks or whatever, is first of all, we have this emotional response, right? And so part of the, part of the awareness process is well, what's going on? And before we just start to spew, 
we begin to just, you know, take a pause, take a breath almost and say, what's going to be helpful to this person? Is this going to cause suffering or is this going to cause peace? Um, so, uh, in other words, when someone has, uh, shares with us this difficult news, um, oftentimes we think we're being helpful if we begin to give advice if we begin to talk about how what it means to us, if we urge the person not to ever leave us. And really, when someone is in that place, their vulnerability factor is sky high. They have just been handed um, their resignation, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I love about this particular piece in the LA Times, and you can perhaps put the connection on your, webs- on your, um, mm-hmm. on your website, is, uh, or your Facebook page, is... Um, comfort in dump out that's the map and so you draw a concentric circle the person who's who's having to deal is in the middle and the rings of support go out from that and so the people who are closest are the people who deserve our comfort and support and if we're on some of the outer rings then we ask how we can be helpful right we often and so the the key point of this article is really restrain your emotional response and Oftentimes, you know, I remember when I was first diagnosed, people were showing up with stacks of information and articles about my diagnosis and gobs of, you know, um, it's the casserole thing, right? So people were bringing casseroles of lasagna and I, I was so not hungry. I, and plus I wasn't eating any of that stuff. It's sort of like, it becomes about communication, right? And communication yeah. becomes about community. And so not only do we learn to have the conversation... <laughs> but we we have that moment of, yeah. is what I'm about to say going to be helpful, or is it going to be harmful? Right, right. So or do they that, want lasagna or something maybe a little different? Or perhaps to be asked, what would you like, or yeah. what would be helpful? You know, we want to do something. I think that's the chief thing that people talk about, is when they hear about a diagnosis of a family member or friend, of someone that they love dearly, they want to do something, they want to fix it. And that's the impulse that we're being invited to restrain, soften, take a breath, what might be helpful. And also get the support for our own feelings, which don't are, are not going to come from the person who's having to make all these decisions and sort stuff out. Mm-hmm. So what did people say to you that was helpful and provided comfort? How is that for you? And then they shut up. Mm-hmm. Or I'm calling to just say hello, is this a good time? Mm-hmm. I actually changed my message because I was getting all these, you know, I was just getting endless calls and having to tell the story over and over again. So, so you put the story in your message machine? I just said, thank you so much for calling. And I actually had point people for folks to call to get stat information. And then I said, you know, I so appreciate your love and support. And I'll call you back if I can. Mm-hmm. And please understand if I don't, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm just needing to gather my strength. Yeah. That was really relieving for people. Yeah. Because they wanted to hear it from me. They wanted the horse's mouth. They didn't want to hear it from a proxy. Right. So, right. I, But I was able to call them on my time. So it's twe- as you were saying, Carrie, it's finding those little things you can tweak that make it th- th- comfort in, dump out. Mm-hmm. And so that, those are the helpful things. Asking and then uh, and always saying, you know, what would help? Right. Because that can happen in these hospice situations, too, where, you know, the next thing you know, you got a room full of people. And really, maybe you don't really want a room full of people, but they feel like they need to be there. So how, how do you, what, what, should, what should you do if you're, uh, you know, a family member of somebody like that? How do, you, how do you run crowd control, I guess? I 
think giving permission is one of the most important things. Um, I very much encourage people to put signs on the front door if they need to. Uh, thank you for coming. We really appreciate you stopping by. However, it's not a great time right now. You know, please check back later. Um, I love the idea of a voicemail message. I've had patients do that as well. But giving people permission to take that control um, and meet them where they are with all of this. Just, again, like you said, feeling it out. Um, you know, validating where that person is. Mm -hmm. um, but again, giving permission to say thank you, but no thank you can be incredibly empowering to yeah. a person who is, is not a, maybe feeling all that empowered. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, because being sick is the ultimate feeling like you're not in control. It's, it's exactly. Yeah. It is loss of control. And, and in our society and our culture, we are all about control. You know, there's endless treatments available out there. Um, mm -hmm. So simple things like that really put the control back. You know, it seems like the, the Williston facility, it's convenient for people that are in Chittenden County. What's the level of, are there enough beds? Are there enough services in the rest of the state? I, I think that we are on a good path to um, making that happen. It can be a challenge, especially in the rural areas. That, again, is a lot of what I do mm -hmm. for Blue Cross. Um, patients who, members who may be in the very last corner of the state. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does make it very difficult to travel all the way to Williston from Bennington. Yeah. Um, for family members. So, at large, it does serve the population in and around Chittenden County, um, Washington County, Lamoille County. You know, there's a lot of, of draw there. Um, there are... One thing I have found with hospice as far as the level of care, the, the beautiful thing about the levels of care in hospice is that it allows for increased services. And oftentimes you find that you don't have to leave um, to go to an inpatient hospice or to an inpatient facility of any kind. That, I've seen tiny little hospices pull together and, you know, staff a sh uh, an overnight shift until a daughter can get in from the airport or an existing family member can just go to sleep for a little bit and get some rest. Um, again, it falls back on community and really pulling resources together to meet the needs of the patient. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's, there's a huge effort across our state. And I, I do believe we're getting there as far as increasing the inpatient hospice services. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a challenge. Do you think the conversation is at all changing? I mean, do you think that there's more discussion about this, trying to, to maximize life, to not push this to the last possible day in a hospital hooked to these machines. I like to think that that, that is happening. Um, that's certainly my life's work. <laughs> but, do you, but do you really think it is? Or, or? I do. Um, I, you know, I work with an incredible group of people who all advocate for that and really, again, meeting the person where they are, what is it that you would like to see? Um, 
you know, um, kind of pulling it all together. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. You've been doing this, you said, 20 years. How do you, how do you protect yourself? How do you, how do you deal with not becoming um, an emotional basket case? Good self-care. Um, I think it's important to honor the emotions that come out of the honor of being with somebody who is um, dying. It's a very personal and private time in somebody's life to die. And to be invited into that environment, I believe, is an incredible honor. So I've always thought of it as that sacred opportunity. Um, very that intimate. said, it is very intimate. Um, you know, that said, uh, in that honor, it's not about me. It's not about the emotions at that given time that that may stir up. I, you know, I run a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, you do. You yeah. develop as a professional. You you develop your your strengths to to make you a, a better um, employee and better you know ambassador mm -hmm. for somebody. Um, not owning other people's emotions is is really key as well, and, and honoring the fact that those are theirs is really important. Yeah. So, Pat, tell us some, some info on, on where people should be going in the next few days here. You know, it's almost, um, if I can just make a comment, it's almost like being a tour guide. Like you're a really, really, really skilled tour guide because it's basically the last tour, right? And we want to hit all the hot spots. Waving that flag to everybody Waving to follow. Waving the flag, right. Yeah. Uh, so the Wake Up to Dying project is going to be on the grounds of the beautiful Fletcher Free Library in Burlington, Vermont, Thursday through Sunday, uh, every day from 11 to 7.30 except Saturday from 10 on to 7.30 and Sunday will be closing down at 5.00. Uh, the workshops will be in the Congregational Church next door. Uh, there will be plenty to check out on the website, which Mark will post for you. And uh, there's community dialogues every day from 1230 to 1.30. Please do come and join us. Thanks, both of you, to, for coming in, too. Carrie Noonan and uh, Pat Fontaine, if you want to get more information, we would steer you to the website wakeuptodyingproject.org, wakeuptodyingproject.org. And again, those uh, events will be happening up in Burlington Thursday through, uh, is it Sunday or Saturday? Sunday, Thursday through Sunday. That's going to wrap things up for hour number one. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We'll check in with our White House crew to begin the hour. Keep your dial right here. This is FM 96.1 WDEV Warren, broadcasting from the top of Sugarbush, FM 96.5 in Bury and Montpelier, and AM 550 WDEV Waterbury, Montpelier. Radio News. I'm Rita Foley. They'll like it when they understand it. Vice President Biden says lawmakers will support the Iran nuclear deal after he explains it to them. He's doing that this morning on Capitol 